0: Father, we pray that you would do something above and beyond any of us expect today, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So there was this guy, his name was Bubba. He was at church, and the pastor asked him, what's wrong, Bubba? He said, I need you to pray for my hearing. So the pastor put his hands on Bubba's ears and he prayed. When he's done, he asked, so how's your hearing? And Bubba said, I don't know. It's not till next Tuesday. (laughs) See, sometimes we hear something or read something and we miss the point. I think that happens a lot of times when people read their Bibles, I think especially when they're reading the Old Testament and the stories of the Old Testament, I think a lot of times you read them and they miss the point. Here's what Romans 15.4 says. It says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we've recently been studying some of the different kings of Israel and kings of Judah, and we gather really a lot of relevant lessons as we've done the study, but also encouragement and hope. And this morning, we're going to see what we can learn from the life of King Josiah. Now the story of King Josiah is remarkable on a number of levels. So let's just start reading it in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. It says Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, now he's 16, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, now he's 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. They tore down the altar's of the bales in his presence and the incense altars that were high above them, he chopped down. Also, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images, he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. So, I just want you to imagine it's time for you to go into the third grade and you're suddenly the president of the United States. That's something of what happened with Josiah at eight. He's all of a sudden, he's the king of Judah. Now we need to have some more background about his life before we can really understand some of the lessons that God wants to teach us from his life. First of all, to get it, we need to get a handle on the political scene of the day during Josiah's time. So we got to go back, you know, actually hundreds of years before Josiah's day, when there was the death of King Solomon, which that marked the beginning of a fractured and divided Israel. and a civil war soon broke out, eventually forcing two separate kingdoms where there was just one nation. So 10 of the Northern tribes split from the two southern tribes, and the northern tribes began to be called Israel, and then the southern tribes were called Judah. By the time Josiah came to the throne of Judah, this northern kingdom, this ten tribes of the north, the time Josiah becomes king of Jerusalem and of Judah, the northern kingdom was no more. In fact, 80 years before Josiah, God brought an end to the northern kingdom because of their continued rebellion against him and their idolatry that just pervaded the land. What did God do? God appointed the ruthless Assyrian army as an instrument of his judgment on on the northern kingdom, these 10 tribes, and the death toll for the Hebrew people was massive And those that did survive were deported to Assyria and never returned again to their homeland. It's good to stop here at this point and just realize that God does reach a point where he'll no longer endure the wickedness of the people who bear his name. I mean, our God, who's amazingly patient, does come to a point where he just won't take it anymore, he won't endure it anymore. And I just have to interject, I think our world is quickly approaching such a time. Judgment is not far off. Now, you would think such a stunning judgment from God of the northern kingdom that the southern kingdom would wake up and realize that we better repent before that happens to us. That's not the case. In the eight eight decades that followed the fall of the northern kingdom, Judah actually sank deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And during those eight decades, there's the prophets Micah and Zephaniah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk were all prophesying, warning Judah to repent or judgment's coming. And all that prophecy of those prophets who we have their books in our Bibles, all that was totally, totally fell on deaf ears in Judah. So when Josiah comes as a child to the throne of Judah, he inherits a kingdom with moral anarchy, rampant idolatry as just commonplace. Let me also point out something else that was going on. uh, We need to understand a little bit about Josiah's personal history. Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh ruled in Judah for 55 years. And he led the most sinful and vile life imaginable. I mean, what would it be like, think about this, to be an 8-year-old and have your recollections of your grandfather be of a man who dedicated himself to the removing of God's word from Judah. Dedicated himself to replacing the worship of God with idols. How would it affect, you think, Josiah to know his grandpa grandpa actually sacrificed some of his own children to idols? Let's read 2nd Chronicles 33 verse 6 and 7. Talking about Manasseh, this is Josiah's grandfather. He said he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he practiced witchcraft. Used divination. Practiced sorcery. And dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then he put the carved image of the idol, which he had made, in the house of God. But Josiah's grandfather doesn't stop there even. He led such a wholesale slaughter of innocent people that the Bible says this in Second Kings twenty-one sixteen. It says, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until it filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Now add to this the brief reign of Josiah's father, Ammon, who followed Manasseh's footsteps, the Bible tells us, and then was assassinated in his second year as king by the palace servants, which is why Josiah came to the throne so young. So this is the spiritual heritage handed down to Josiah. He had no godly model to follow in his immediate family. He faced an unpredictable and volatile political climate in the world. His nation was spinning out of control and was headed for the judgment of God. So the question is, what possible difference could this child make in such dire conditions? Yet before his death in battle at age 39, God used Osiris to lead his nation in one of the greatest revivals in history. Now, a study of the choices that Josiah made really is a study in the choices that you make to birth revival. So I'm going to walk through it. I think there's four choices that Josiah makes and Judah makes with him that caused the revival, the greatest revival that we read about in the Old Testament to happen. And these four choices, I think, are key for anyone who wants to have personal revival. If you want to see revival in our church, you want to see revival in our nation. These four decisions, these four choices are key to revival. We don't have to wonder, how do we make revival happen? The Bible tells us how to do it. Now, before we see what Josiah actually did, I want you to see this one verse that tells us what these four choices are. God gives it all to us in one verse. <clears> 2 <throat> Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So God tells us exactly how to bring about revival. These four choices, and I just want to tell you what I think the four choices are out of that verse, because I think we see all four of them in the life of Josiah and Judah as they follow his lead. The four choices that we see in this one passage are, number one, a realization of your spiritual identity. If my people who are called by my name. There's a realization that we're his people, a realization that we're not the same as everybody else that we are uniquely his, we are called by his name. I think there is a realization, anytime there is a revival throughout history, somewhere there is a small group of people that realize who they were. Number two choice is to humble yourself. They humble themselves. Pride is, will, will kill, will stop revival from happening and will kill it. Once it starts. Third choice from this passage is pray and seek his face. Pray and seek his face. And fourth choice is radical repentance. They turn and turn from their wicked ways. So these are the elements that lead to revival. And and I've studied revivals through church history and all four of these. Happen every time. Let's see how it happened with Josiah Judah. Number one, the realization of their spiritual identity. Second Chronicles 34, verse 2 says he, Josiah, did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. It did not turn aside to the right or to the left. It's interesting, it doesn't talk about his father Ammon or his grandfather Manasseh. But Josiah went all the way back to David. There was some connection to the realization of who he really was, descendant from, and really who his, what his true identity was. And Judah seemed to catch on to that as well. I do believe we. <coughs> excuse me. I do believe we don't have a verse for this. I think that the high priest Hilkiah who we, as we read was a godly man, probably was significant in helping Josiah understand who he was. So Josiah came to understand that he and Judah were different than the nations around them. They're different. They were God's people called by his name. I tell you, you'll never, you'll never be interested in revival or transformation if, you don't, if that reality doesn't sink in. If we think that we're just like everybody else, if we think we're just like our unbelieving neighbors or co-workers or classmates, then if we think we're like them, then we'll probably act like them. But if the realization sinks in that wait a second, I am, I belong to God, I'm in God's family. I'm called by his name. And we remember who we are, I think that's the beginning of moving toward revival. The realization that we're his people called by his name. If that never registers, there won't be revival because there will be no reason to pursue it. So there must be a realization of our spiritual identity. We must begin by saying, by remembering who we are. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are are citizens of heaven. We've been bought by by the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We are not like the world. We are His, called by His name. Remember who you are. There's a second element that leads to revival, and that is the choice to humble himself. After the high priest found a copy of the law, probably the book of Deuteronomy, during the renovations of the house of God, under Josiah's lead, when Josiah heard, when he heard the word of God read and realized how far the people of God had drifted away and how much they deserved the judgment of God, he he rips his clothes and he begins to weep and humble himself. Let's see what it says. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 27. Here's what God says when he does that. God says to him, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words, because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. And it goes on to say, and God says, and I will not bring judgment during your lifetime, Josiah, because I don't want you to see it. So humbling ourselves before God is a key element to moving toward revival. There's a third element we see here in that is pray and seek God's face. 2 Chronicles 14, I mean sorry, Second Chronicles 34 and verse three. For in the eighth year of his reign, remember, that's just 16 years old. While he's still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So as this 16-year-old began to develop a hunger for God, and many of us who have been praying for revival in this country for some of us for decades believe that it's going to be birthed in the lives of the younger generation. Josiah is a good model for that. But one of the things you'll see if you study revivals is they're usually birthed among the young generation. There's a lot of older people that prayed it in and that jump on with them. But there's something stir- that stirs in the young people that brings about a revival. Some of you have heard about the revival that's going on in Ashbury in Kentucky. So it's just been going 11 days. But it was a chapel service that just didn't end they began seeking God and when it was over they just didn't leave and they haven't left for 11 days and you can go online and you can see it live what's going on in there <clears throat> and it's some young people that got stirred by the Holy Spirit to seek God not to seek revival to seek God There was one '94 in Canada. Tracy and I went up there for a week with that. That lasted a couple of years. going strong. There's one in '96, '97 in Pensacola. Lasted two and a half years. Tracy and I were there for two different weeks of that. just wanted to see what God is doing. There's been, it's been, there's been a breakout revival in Argentina, uh, actually around 2,000. And so we continue, we continue to see this. But we don't have to wonder how to make it happen. You don't just go and you don't, you go and, and get a cup of it somewhere and bring it back. That's not how it works. We know what to do. God tells us what to do. So I just want I just got to ask him, and we see this something happened in Josiah where he began to seek God. Something happened. We're a hunger for God in him. I guess the question we ought to ask ourselves is, is there a hunger for God in us today? Hunger for him. Longing for his nearness. Longing for his presence. Ask yourself the question, what, what am I truly seeking? What, is, what am I truly seeking? Am I truly seeking anything different than my non Christian neighbors. Is my Christianity just a veneer? But on the inside, I'm I'm no different in my motivations and pursuits than any non-believer. How would you, you, if you had to grade your your hunger for God, how would you grade yourself? Just between you and God, how would you grade your hunger for God? One to a hundred, how would you grade it? Do you seek him is your passion for him. Aaron quoted part of this passage. Well, Apostle Paul said this, I want you to look at it, Philippians 3, 8 through 10. He said, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, Rubbish is a euphemism, the word rubbish, better translation, some of your translations may say dung. Paul uses that word, he says, I count it all dung, that I might, may gain Christ, that I may know him. So this is a good time just to do some personal inventory. <laughs> on, you know, your, your hunger for God today. I think you had good questions are to ask. I mean, is, is, is the Jihap full or is the Jihap empty? Grace House of Prayer. Are those who do come pray, are, there, are their prayers passion, passionate or passionless? And, or just a question, where are the Josiahs? Where are they today? Where are the young people who are willing to swim against the current of this culture? Against family patterns. And seek God. Just seek Him, not wait for someone to plan a meeting for them. Revivals don't need someone to plan them. They don't need someone to tell people they ought to do it. Revivals are something that people want to do. There's something, there's a hunger and a thirst where they just want this. It's easy to hold back a little bit when it comes to our spiritual life. You know, my mother taught all of us children how to gamble. My mother was a gambler. She didn't come to Christ till later in her life, and we all learned how to gamble from my mother. We all knew that if you had a really good hand, you, you might risk a certain amount, but you're not sure that's going to win, you're not sure your hand is a winner, so you're not going to risk it all, you're going to risk some, because you may still lose, but occasionally you get a hand that you thought, this cannot lose, this hand cannot lose. Let's say it's a royal flush and you know it can't lose. And so you just go, I'm all in. I am all in. I know I can't lose. Everything is in. See, there's something that happens, I think, in somebody's heart where they just decide, you know what, I've been putting a little chip here and a little chip here for Jesus. And I, but I'm holding back. I still got lots of things I want to make sure I hold back on. But then there comes a time, and I think that's usually when revival is occurring in someone's heart, is when they just say, you know what? I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm all in. I don't know what you're going to ask me to do tomorrow, but I'm all in. And that's what Josiah did. Josiah was all in, and Judah went all in with him. So Josiah and Jerusalem, first of all, they realize their spiritual identity and know who they are. Then they humble themselves and begin to pray and seek God's face. But then there's something else that happens, a fourth step, and that was a radical repentance. Let's listen to the summarization of Josiah's 31 year reign. From 2 Kings verse, chapter 23, it says this in verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. He's all in. So he didn't take his cues from his family. He rose above the spiritual emptiness of his home He didn't succumb to the anti-God attitudes and godless choices of the nation around him. He rose above peer pressure at 16. Swam against the current of the day. And more than anything else, he wanted to know God. He just wanted to know him. In fact, verse 3 says, later tells us that as he grew older, his devotion to the Lord increased so much that it was obvious to all those around him. So by the time he's 16, he determined to pursue and worship God, and that began to so mark him that the historian who writes 2 Chronicles makes a record of it. And By his 20th birthday, his character has been so shaped by God that he uses office now to to institute a nationwide purge of every, every trace of idolatry. Let's just read it. Second Chronicles 34, verse 3. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah in Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars that were high above them. He chopped down also the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. He broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered down the ground of those who had sacrificed to them. There's radical repentance here. And I'm just, here's, here's, I think. Now I don't I don't have a golden calf. This is as close as I could come. <laughs> but I want you to know that, you know, it wasn't like a there wasn't just a a little tweaking here and there. And maybe later on you could rebuild it. No? No. He grinds it down to powder. There is no way to bring idolatry back when he's done. No way. So here's my question. Is there there something that, what would radical repentance look like in your life, in your life? Is there some relationship that you just kind of, you know, don't really just totally, you know, break off 100% that you ought to? Is there some habit you kind of hold on to and uh, you feel bad about it, but you go back to it and you don't demolish it? Is there some pursuit that you say, you know what, I'm going to cut that off in a way I can never pursue it again? So that's radical repentance. And that's what they did in Judah. Then there's these evidences. I want to give you three evidences of revival. If you want to know has revival occurred, here's three evidences. And I'll summarize these in light of time. The first one is a restoration of true worship. They restored the temple. The temple needed to be restored for the last couple hundred years. And he restores it. Why? So they can become a worshiping people. There will be something, an evidence of revival is people that just want to worship. You don't have to talk them into it. You don't have to ought them into it. They just want to worship. The second thing is after they found the scroll of the law in the temple as they're renovating it, they discover the Word of God. Interestingly enough, the Word of God lost in the house of God, which is happening in lots of liberal churches. But there's a restoration of the authority of the Bible. The Bible, the Word of God is read and everybody decides they're going to follow it. And so one of the evidences of revival is that the people of God are back under the authority of the Word of God. Not just to hear it, but to do it. Whatever it says, we'll do. We'll do it. Tell us what it says, we'll do it. So there's a there's a restoration of true worship, there's a restoration of the authority of the Bible. And thirdly, there's a restoration of celebration in the community because they celebrate the Passover feast together in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. And as they celebrate it, there is, they come together to have a celebration, but there's a restoration of community with the people of God gathering together. And I think that's the third evidence of revival is the people of God just want to get together. You don't have to convince them that they ought to be in a life group or small group. They just want to gather together. They want community. So there's worship, there's authority of the Bible, there's a restoration of community. These are evidences of a revived people. As we close here, I want to ask our youth, our college age, and our young adults in this service. I know most of them will be in the second service, but I know there's some here. I want to ask you, are there any of you that long for revival? Revival? Do we have any young people here that long for revival? Let's stand. If there's any young people here today long for revival, before I close a prayer, I just want to ask you to say, I-, I want that. You're a teenager, you're 20-something, 30-something. Say, I want that. If that's you, I want you to just come down, slip out of your seat, and just come down here before we close. So it's begun. (laughs) Father, you know, every heart here, you know, Lord, our longings. We're asking you. To stir the passion of our heart with affection for God. Stir our hearts with passion, the affection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for this. We ask for this. Stir us. Even today, as you're stirring this very moment, stir us more. I pray, Lord, that for those G Hop groups that begin to build and overflow until they can't meet in G Hop rooms, and they can't meet in. Uh, the loft, They, get, they got, we got to start meeting in here, Lord, because we don't have enough room anywhere else. It means we're praying for that. So what you are doing here, Lord, these are those who are saying, we want this, Lord. We want it. And so, Lord, you want it more than we want it. So if we're asking you to help it happen. We pray, Lord, for just uh, to set our hearts aflame with passion for you, for you. And I pray, Lord, for those that you are calling to begin to just invite and initiate into and, and to gatherings, Lord, that just uh, that stir, Lord, and there won't be, this won't be, you know, people being, you know, guilted into it, Lord, there'll be just something stirring in, them. they just want this, they want, they want you, they want you, so Lord, we just, we just end this service by saying, Lord, we want you, we want more, we pray, Lord, now you would, you would go ahead and lead how that happens, and, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me encourage you guys. Praise God. As I was praying about this, I, I saw the fires beginning to, to, to light in the gehap. So light the fires in the gehap and let it overflow. Let it overflow into the services. Amen. Give all of them a hand, guys. Praise God. <clears throat> Praise God.